All right, well, welcome and welcome to a brand new series that we're going to start today called On Covenants. For the next several weeks, I want to, one more over here, Sam. Right there, Julius needs one. For the next several weeks, we want to talk about covenants. Some of you probably have heard the word covenants, mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. Actually, we have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We talk about the New Covenant that came with Christ. And even though covenants is a pretty popular word in the Bible and it's used a lot, I think a lot of times we don't talk about covenants. And I think it's really important that we do spend some time talking about covenants because in the covenants you really learn a lot about God's heart and God's plan that he has for each of us. So during this series, I want to talk about, you know, really what is a covenant? Why are covenants important? How do they relate to us? What do covenants mean? And most importantly, I want to talk about how covenants help us to tell our story. You know, last series we were in, we talked a lot about David from 2 Samuel verse 7. We talked about the covenant that God had with David, where God comes to David and says, look, I have a really good plan for your life. But what you're going to do is you're going to have to lay down the plan that you have for your own life. And God comes into David and says, look, I'm going to give you an amazing plan for your life. And part of what God says to David is, I want to tell a greater story through your life. And that's God's invitation to each and every one of us. He wants to tell a greater story through our life. And part of covenant is understanding the story that God wants to tell. So part of this series is we're going to be able to understand a little bit more of what God is doing in our life so that we're able to tell our story. The truth is every one of us has a story. In some way or another, we're going to tell our story. We're going to tell our story by our words. We're going to tell our story by our actions. Well, a popular TED Talk scholar who examines all the TED Talks, he often says that there's usually two popular ways that people tell their story. One, they're going to tell a story that's going to go all the high points of their life. They're going to talk about everything good that has happened in their life. Or you're going to have another person who's going to tell a story about every negative thing that has happened in their life. Those are two of the most popular ways to tell a story. But what God wants us to do is tell a story of redemption. And the story of redemption is where you take the high points of your life and the low points of your life and you blend them together to tell a greater story about your life. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what covenants help us to understand. But the thing is, a covenant relationship can be a little bit tricky. You find it's kind of an easy way. And I think in a lot of ways I'm excited about this series because we see a covenant with God, he makes it easier on our half. But see, the problem for us is in order to enter into covenant, all that God's asking from us is to give up some control, to give up and surrender a little bit. And that's a hard thing. And I think most of us think that we have given up control in our life. In fact, I'm that kind of person that thinks I have. Until a couple weeks ago, I was sitting on my friend's porch, and he was talking to me, and he said, so what areas of your life have you surrendered to God, but you're still in control of? <laughs> That's a dumb question. Obviously, I've given up control in every area of my life. But the more I thought about it, the more I recognized how easy it is for me to keep a little bit of control in areas of my life. And I've recognized ever since he asked that to me, how many areas of my life where I'll say, you know, I've really surrendered this over to Jesus, but there's a little area of me just trying to control things, maybe trying to control a relationship or the behavior or thoughts or ideas. And I think covenants is a good opportunity for us to understand why God wants us to surrender so much. I think when you talk about salvation, we say salvation is agreeing to give up control. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. You give, so you surrender. And say, I'm done leading my life the way I want to lead my life, and I surrender over to you, Jesus. 
But then we do, we go through this process called sanctification, which we actually do surrender. I think salvation is the attitude of, okay, I want to do this, I'm going to do, and then the rest of our life, God takes us on the journey where he says, okay, now actually give up control. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series, about actually giving up more and more control so we can walk in the plans that God has for us. See, when Becky and I planted this church along with some other people, we wanted it to be a church where people can be open and honest and transparent. We want to be a church where people can be vulnerable about their high points in their life and about the bad points in their life. I think a lot of times in church, a culture is created where people feel safe only talking about the good things in their life. And when it comes to the ugly things in your life, the embarrassing things in your life, sometimes we get a little shy talking about those things. And I understand you got to use wisdom of what kind of audience that you're going to bring up, some of the, the, the trickier parts of your life. But in church, you should have a culture that's created where people feel open and honest to be able to share these things. And open and honest that when as we go through life, we all recognize that we're on a journey. We're on a journey where God is constantly interrupting the rhythms of our life and saying, hey, I want to do more for you. I want to do more for you so you can live in freedom. And that's what covenants help us to see. I love in James 3 where James says, don't cover up the truth by boasting or lying. Don't cover up the truth by boasting or lying because I think there is a pattern that some of us develop that we think, you know what? I got to either lie or I got to compensate by boasting. And what James is saying, don't do these kind of things. Instead, be honest with the Lord. Be honest with the Lord. And I think some of the reasons we have a hard time being honest is because we're not sure how God's going to respond. And when we talk about covenants, we're going to see how God is always willing to respond for our best interest. Totally got off track here. I have no idea where I'm at. Where did I go? <laughs> All right, so what do we do in our life? What do we do in our life? I know a lot of us, we, we know we're called to tell a story of redemption with our life. We like those good parts of our story. We like the good things that happen. But what do we do about those things of our life that are a little bit ugly, that are a little bit embarrassing, those things that we kind of wish that our story of redemption actually included a big eraser? Well, we could go through the things in our life and say, I, I want to erase that part. I want to get rid of that part because really I want a story that is just kind of based on a bunch of really good stuff. And that's that complicated part when God says, I'm going to take the good and the bad and I'm going to put it together to create a story of redemption. And actually God's invitation in the Bible over and over again is to let the hard things in our life to let the ugly things in our life, to let the embarrassing things in our life, let the disappointments in our life actually serve us. Because over and over again, there is a theme that the hard things in our life are actually going to cause us to be a better person. And that's what covenants are going to allow us to see. Covenant is how God enters our story and delivers us from inability and exchanges it for his grace. The covenants of God help us to see how God comes in our life and gives us grace. Covenants also tell us how God can take a weak and a broken person and give them the ability and desire to do something that they never could do on their own. Covenants are about a bridge, a bridge that God will use to deliver us from our situation and bring us into joy and happiness and peace. And covenants, most important, help us to understand our story. Help us to understand how our story fits into the, big, the bigger story that God's telling Earlier this week, I was 
driving out of our neighborhood and I did what I typically do. I kind of roll through the stop sign and I'm going to get onto our street. And I kind of did that roll through the stop sign, kind of maybe should have waited for the car to go by, but I thought, ah, I'll just go. What happened to me, that was a cop car behind me. Not the best decision, especially when my son is in driver's training, so I'm trying to obey all the laws. Now, fortunately, I didn't get a ticket, so I think I'm a ticket. So I'm rolling through the stop sign. I'm speeding out to traffic to get in front of him. I'm like, oh, no, there's a cop. So I thought, okay, at least I better go the speed limit. And I had absolutely no idea what the speed limit was. I'm like, I have lived off this street for the last seven years, and I have absolutely no idea what the speed limit is. I'm like, it could be 55, it could be 35. So I'm like, all right, I'll just settle right in the middle. I'll do 45, maybe I'll go about 42. And hopefully that will be okay. So I'm watching this cop car get closer and closer behind me, and I'm like, I don't know what the way this is going to go. It's kind of weird how panicky you get when you have a cop behind you. It's like, really? Just pay the ticket. But as I was preparing this message, I thought, you know what? Covenants are a little bit like speed limits. You don't have to know the speed limit to drive. You can drive whatever speed you want to go. It really doesn't matter. You might get in a little trouble. But see, the thing about covenants, you don't really have to know what a covenant is to walk with the Lord. You may not even be able to give a definition. Some of you may have no idea what a covenant is. And that's actually okay. But I think when you understand covenants, it just gives you a lot of peace. It's kind of like knowing what the speed limit is. When you know what the speed limit is, there's a cop behind you, you have just a lot more peace in your life. And I think you're going to see that in this series. When you understand covenant, you'll be like, relax a little bit. Kind of relax a little bit because you know that God is in control of your life situation. That God really, really wants to show you what covenant is just so you have a little bit of peace of mind. So what are covenants? What are these covenants that I keep talking about? You know, before I talk about covenants, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, well, the importance of covenants. One of the most scholarly books on covenant that came out in the last couple of years is this huge book on covenants. It's, it's an amazing book, but yet I don't understand 90% of it. But, you know, you read through the book and you find out it's just so scholarly. But the two scholars in the book, Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam, they say covenants are the backbone of the storyline of the Bible. By what they're saying, it's the backbone of the Bible. It's like you understand the Bible through the covenants. Once you understand covenants, everything else in the Bible is going to make sense. Some other scholars like to talk about the covenants in the Bible and say that, that they're, they're the structure of the Bible, kind of like the, the framing of a house. The framing of the house holds everything together. So they talk about how when you understand covenants, you understand the frame and everything's built on that. All right, I think those are probably two really good definitions. However, I like to refer to covenants as bridges because I think it's helpful for me to understand them as bridges probably because I like water and the church is called Lake Effect. So we're going to talk about covenants as bridges because bridges always help you to get from one place to another place. Covenants come into our life because we are isolated in some little place we shouldn't be, and God builds a bridge and says, okay, I'm going to get you to the plan where I have for you. So we're going to talk about covenants kind of like they're bridges, bridges that God is going to use to speak his story of redemption into our life. So starting in Genesis, you do see with Adam and Eve, 
God started the thing with Adam and Eve, started the world with Adam and Eve, and right away we run into problems. And by Genesis 3, the whole Bible could have been done. God could have said, I created the world, created Adam and Eve to follow me. They sinned, it's over, and it's done with. However, while Adam and Eve were sinning, God already comes in with his covenant plan of restoration. He comes in with his covenant plan of redemption in the midst of sinning. And that's the beautiful thing is that you see covenants were developed while Adam and Eve were sinning. And that's the comforting thing that we look at covenants to see what God is doing. So what is a covenant? I've been talking a lot about them. What actually is a covenant? See, when we talk about covenant, a lot of us think contract. That's our American culture. We think contract. The Bible's talking about covenant. So what is the difference between the two? See, in a contract, you have a relationship with two parties. For example, in our, in our culture, we, we, we think of a contract a lot of like a loan. Might have a mortgage loan. I have a mortgage loan. I go to the bank. We write a contract. They're going to lend me this much money. I'm going to pay them this much interest. I'm going to make monthly payments. In X amount of years, the loan is paid off and I get the deed to my house. But what happens if I default on my mortgage? I don't pay my interest. I don't pay uh, my payments. Then it's written into the contract how the contract is going to dissolve. That is a contract, an agreement between two people or two parties, and he agreed to the terms of the contract, and if one party disobeys the term, the contract is over, and immediately you follow the steps in the contract to dissolve the contract. That's how a contract works. Now, covenants are very different. They're kind of similar in a little ways, but this is the big difference about a covenant. Number one, it's a personal relationship. Covenants that God creates with people are personal relationships. You know, the mortgage that I have, we actually got it over the internet. I know it sounds shifty to get a mortgage over the internet, but it's kind of, it's kind of very convenient. I never met the mortgage banker. I never met anybody. I did everything online, through email, through text. There's no personal relationship involved. But a covenant with God is a personal relationship. But here's where the big difference is between a covenant and a contract. Tom Schreider says that a covenant is a chosen relationship or a partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. It does sound a little bit like a contract, but here's the big difference. Here's the big difference. Covenants are never over. Even though one party may not fulfill their side of the agreement, a covenant's not over. God creates covenant with people through salvation, and God promises this is the part I'm going to do, and this is a commitment that I'm asking from you. However, God always says, if you don't fulfill your side of the commitment, I'm still going to be God. I'm still going to be Lord. I'm still going to be there for you. And that's why we're grateful that salvation is not a contract. Because if salvation was a contract, the, immediate, the first time that you sin, the contract would be over. But because salvation is a covenant, God's saying, I'm in there with you for the long haul. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I expect you to do. Now, let's say you don't do them. Let's say you live a life of disobedience. God might say, you're not going to receive some of the benefits of the covenant, but I'm never going to stop being there for you. I'm always waiting for you to come back. It's kind of like parenting. Yeah, your child might do some things that you don't like. You don't kick them out of the house. Instead, what you say is you wait, and you wait, and you pray. 
And that's why God wants us to understand what's so important about a covenant. Is God says, I'm in it for the long haul for you. And in fact, what God has done in a covenant, we're going to talk about today and talk about the Old Testament covenants, that God knows that not one of us is faithful to keep our commitment part of a covenant. So that's why he created Jesus. That's why he came into this world as Christ to fulfill both sides of the covenant. And that's the beautiful thing about covenant is that God fulfills both sides. He fulfills his obligation and he sends Jesus to fulfill our obligation. And that's why covenants are a beautiful thing and why covenants give us so much hope as followers of Jesus Christ knowing that God's going to fulfill both sides of that covenant so we can live the way he wanted us to live. So the burden of a covenant always falls on Jesus. You can even see that in the Old Testament covenants, that the burden fell on Jesus. So now through the Bible, we do talk about covenants. We do talk about there's covenants between two individuals. Jonathan and David create a covenant. You see covenants in the Old Testament about a king would create a covenant with uh, the people of um, the country that he was serving. We're not talking about those today. Instead, I want to specifically talk about the Old Testament covenants that God makes with his people. And probably in a few, and then over the course of this series, we'll go in depth over these covenants. And then at the last part of the series, we're actually going to talk about how do covenants relate? Like what is the covenant of marriage all about? So before we begin, I want to read from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to give us a little bit idea of why covenants were so important. Because the reason covenants were so important is because they started in the Garden of Eden. And God's goal has always been to get us back to the Garden. Always goal is to get us back to his purpose in his life. So I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis 1, and then I'm going to read some verses from Genesis 2. All right, so here we go. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees as your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was all very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Then we go to Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone for my bone and flesh in my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. 
So why does God want to get us back to the garden? Why does God want to get us back to the garden? Because this is how he wanted our relationship with him to be. This perfect relationship where there was absolutely no shame. I think it's hard for us to imagine a life or a world that had absolutely no shame or no regret or no remorse. And that's actually where God wants to bring us back. It's interesting, when you look at the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden still exists. The Bible does tell us it's still there. It's just hidden. Nobody can see where it's at. It's surrounded by angels that no man or no woman or no one on this planet could actually find where it is because it's hidden. But most scholars, most biblical scholars will tell you that the Garden of Eden is located in the midst of Iraq. From all the studies they've done, from the looking at the Bible, reading how the Bible's set, where the geography is, and all that, it is believed that the Garden of Eden is in the middle of Iraq. And what do we know about Iraq? It's probably one of the most chaotic places on this planet. That Iraq is a symbol of probably one of the most chaotic governments, one of the chaotic structures, one of those area of war. In the middle of that, exists the Garden of Eden. But I think what God wants to do is show us too that in the middle of chaos, in the middle of wars and rumors of wars, that we can live in perfect peace. That the Garden of Eden is actually inside of us. That when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrect from, resurrected from the dead and the Holy Spirit lives in each of us, that we can live in a garden in our lives as we wait for the ultimate restoration of the world and the, and, and the earth. But it's hard to believe that we could live in perfect peace in the midst of so much chaos. And there we have it, the Garden of Eden that is located in perfect peace in the midst of so much chaos. And that is what God wants to do with covenant. He wants us to bring us back to that place where we can live in peace and we can live in hope and that we can live in a season of expectation. It's kind of an interesting thing when the Garden of Eden is described. It's described as a place where there is no shame and there's perfect peace. And the animals are tame. There's no wild animals. There's no weeds in the garden. Adam and Eve's job is just to take care of the gardens. That'd be kind of fun to take care of a garden that doesn't have weeds or nothing's dying. And that's where God wants to take us. And why was Eden such a good place? Because there's no sin in God ruled completely. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to bring us to that place where God is a complete ruler of our life so we can live in that experience of the Garden of Eden. We have most of us know the story of the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden and said, okay, here's all this wonderful vegetation for you to eat from. But there's two trees. There's trees of the knowledge of the good and evil, and there's a tree of life. You can eat from the one, but don't eat from the other one. And we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned, and they chose the wrong tree. See, God's plan with Adam and Eve is, I'm going to show you what it's like to live in complete obedience to me. I want to show you what it's like to live in a perfect relationship with me. And because you're in a perfect relationship with me, you're going to always make right choices. But we see even as early in the garden, when people are given a choice, we tend to fall for the wrong choice. It's hard to believe that Adam and Eve would actually choose to rebel against God. But they chose it even from the beginning times. And even people like us who try to live a 
moral and an upright and an honest life, a life full of integrity, it's easy for us to choose the wrong tree as well. But fortunately, God came up with a covenant. See, after Adam and Eve sinned, life got progressively worse. We see murder entered the world. Murder continued to grow, and more people ended up in more and more trouble. So God stopped one day, and he decided to destroy the world. And as you know, the flood came, and God spared Noah and his family. God's plan, and we see this over and over again in the Bible, is God takes a small group of people and says, I am going to bless you with a wonderful relationship with me. You're going to see how wonderful life is in a dependent relationship on me. And then through our relationship, we're going to bless the rest of the world. That was God's plan with Adam and Eve. I'm going to bless you too, and the rest of the world's going to be blessed. Adam and Eve sinned. So God comes to Noah and says the same thing. I'm going to select your family. I'm going to pull your family out. I'm going to bless your family abundantly. We're going to start this world over. And we know what happened. The world was destroyed and Adam and Eve, or Noah and his family continued to sin as well. But God created this, uh, this covenant with Noah. This is kind of the very first covenant that you see where God comes in and he says, you know what, I'm never going to destroy the world again. This is my commitment. I will not destroy the world again. And he says to Noah, this is your part, nothing. You don't have to do anything. And that's God's plan and God's first covenant that he makes with each of us. I'm not going to destroy the world again. I'm not going to destroy you because of your sin, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to come into a, a covenant relationship for salvation. So after Noah, sin continued on and on and on until we get to Abraham. So God pulls Abraham out. And God says to Abraham, look, what I'm going to do with your family, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. Your family's going to inherit this promised land. And my goal is that through my relationship with Abraham and his family, the entire world is going to be blessed. But God says, okay, Abraham, you have some part of this deal. You need to live without sin. You need to train your children to do what's right. And then they're going to circumcise all the males as a symbol. That's probably a little bit of a deal breaker for some people. But that's part of God's arrangement with Abraham. Look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Then we know what happens. Abraham doesn't keep his end of the deal. So time continues on, and God calls the nation of Israel, and God says to the nation of Israel, look, I'm going to give a covenant with you. I'm going to rescue you because you're all in Egypt. You're all in captivity. You're all in bondage to sin. And I'm going to rescue from you from your bondage to sin. But this is a deal. This is a deal. You're going to have to obey this new law that I'm coming up with. You're also going to have to follow the Ten Commandments. So God says to Israel, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to give you a new life. But you're going to have to follow the Ten Commandments. And what does the nation of Israel do? They're not able to follow God. So God comes along to a man named David, and we talked a lot about this in the last series. God makes a covenant with David, says, David, I know you have a plan for your life, and David, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give a better plan for your life. And from your family line is going to come the Savior of the world. But in return, I'm going to ask you to do this. You need to be faithful to me. And we know what happens with David. He's not faithful. Time and time again, God makes covenant with people says this is my part this is your part and time and time again people do not fulfill their side of the deal but this is a strange thing with these covenants they don't end the covenant from adam and eve still exists 
The covenant with Noah still exists. The covenant with Abraham still exists. The covenant with David still exists. All these covenants are open. And God wants to fulfill each and every covenant. But he has a problem. The people he made a covenant with aren't standing up to their part of the deal. They're not standing up to their commitment. So what is a God going to do who wants to be merciful and he wants to fulfill his covenants? Well, he's going to have to become a man. He's going to come be out, become a man, and we know the story of Jesus Christ. He comes to this earth, and what does Jesus do? He fulfills every single covenant. The Bible talks about Jesus is the son of Adam. Because of Jesus' perfect choices, he can fulfill Adam's commitment to the covenant. Noah, there was no uh, deal. That was just a free covenant. God is going to do it regardless of people. But then we go to Abraham. Abraham didn't keep his side of the deal, so what does the Bible refer to Jesus? It says he's a descendant of Abraham. Because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, and because his perfect righteousness, he can fulfill the covenant with Abraham. And so what happens with the covenant with Israel? Jesus is known, and the Bible says Jesus comes from the tribe of Israel. So Jesus can fulfill the covenant with Israel. And obviously Jesus fulfills the covenant he made with David because Jesus is called the son of David. God has a special interest to see that every covenant is fulfilled. God has a covenant to see that the covenant relationship he has with your life is fulfilled. God didn't just save you just to give you eternal life. That would be a pretty good deal. But God saved you because he wanted the plans and purposes that he has for you on this earth to be fulfilled. And I think a lot of us, it's easy to write our story of destruction, just to say my life is a bad thing after a bad thing after a bad thing. But God always comes in and says, no, I'm going to write you a story of redemption where I'm going to take the good and bad of your life and I'm going to use it as a bridge to bring you to the place that I have for you to go. It's kind of amazing when you look back in the Bible and you think in Genesis 3 that everything could have been over. Because there's part of you thinks, God, why didn't you just wipe it all out? He didn't need people. The scripture's pretty clear that God doesn't need us. He doesn't rely on us. That he's pretty self-sufficient. But you see with God, he has a heart of love and compassion. He always wants restoration. And that's what I love about the covenants. They help us to see that God will make a covenant and he will fulfill both sides of the covenant. That is what kind of a God we serve. It's encouraging that no matter what situation that you're in, no matter what obstacle that you're looking at, no matter what kind of doubt you're looking at, or discouragement that you're looking at, or addiction that you're looking at, or habit that you're looking at, no matter what issue that is going on in our life, or no matter what issue is going on in a person that you love, in a person that you care for, in a person that you want to walk in freedom, that God is always there saying, I will do whatever it takes to see you walk in the freedom that I have for you. That God is saying, I will build both sides of the bridge if that means to rescue you. That our restoration is not dependent on us. It's interesting. The story of our life that we are called to tell is not dependent on us either. 
God is the author and the finisher of the human race. God is the author of our life. I don't write the story. I just tell the story. God hasn't called any of us to write a story of our life. All he says is surrender. Surrender to me and let me write the story. Give up control and let me write the story. You just tell the story. That's kind of a nice deal. We surrender and he writes the story. I think part of salvation, a definition of salvation, is simply when you get to the point and you're tired of writing your own story. And you get tired of writing your own story and you say, God, you write my story. God, I'm sick and tired of trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of this situation or I'm going to get out of that situation or I'm going to get rid of this anger or this control or whatever issue you have and surrender and say, God, would you write the story? Because I keep trying to figure out my way out of the situation and it ain't getting any better. That's salvation. Is when we keep surrendering and surrendering and surrendering and saying, God, you write my story. And that's the beautiful thing that we see in covenants that we're going to continue to talk about for the next several weeks is we see God is there with a pen in hand. Always, always, always wanting to write and use the high points of your life and use the low points in your life to serve you and to serve you well. So, Father, I do thank you that you are a God of covenants. I thank you, Father, that you are a God who can rewrite stories and that you are a God who can take the high points of our life and the low points of our life and blend them together to make a beautiful story of redemption. God, I pray for each person here, Lord, that maybe is uncertain about your writing skills that you would give them confidence today. Maybe someone's here struggling, thinking, I don't know if God could write me out of this situation that I'm in. Maybe they're wondering if they've gone too deep or too far or too off course, that they will leave here today knowing that you can write them back into the story and that you have a good finish for them. Father, I ask that the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit would fall on each of us today, that we would have confidence to tell our story, and that you would help us to know how to write our story to give you glory. Lord, I just continue to pray, anybody who's in that tough situation, that may be wondering, how is he going to do this? Lord, I thank you that we don't have to figure that out. But we simply trust in the fact that you sent Jesus to fulfill our commitments that we couldn't fulfill. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing that all over this room, Lord, that you are just moving in our lives to give us hope, to give us encouragement. Lord, I pray for any person here, Lord, that might be dealing with a, a friend or family member, Lord, that this was so off course. Lord, we pray that you build a bridge to get that person back into the covenant plans that you have for their life. Lord, I thank you for covenants. I thank you for your commitment and your steadfastness and the hope and encouragement. And Lord, I thank you for the garden that you put inside of us. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you so that this garden inside of us would just continue to grow. 
And that, Lord, any weeds that are in our life, Lord, that you would just pull those out so we can live in this garden that just is a perfect reflection of who you are. God, we just thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for the peace that you're giving to us. And I thank you for your peace that casts out all fear and all anxiety. Would you just continue to move in peace for each of us? Lord, as we sing this last song, Lord, I pray that you administer to each person here. In Jesus' name.